0: Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. So Lord, how can we say thanks for the things that you have done for us, things so undeserved, and yet you gave your life for us? The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude, all that I am and ever hope to be. Lord, I owe it all to thee. Hallelujah to you, Lord. How wonderful are you, God. There is no one like you in the heavens and the earth. There is no one besides you. You alone are the Lord, sovereign in all your ways and yet amazingly good. Father, we praise you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, three in one. We thank you this day that we are together as a church family and we get to praise you, God. And thank you for the beauty and the wonder of the presence of the the great God of the universe. Thank you so much, God. And Lord, we just pray that in this hard world that you would give people renewed hope and life life that comes from the eternal God and comes from the power of your Holy Word. Lord, we praise you for yourself this day, and we pray that you would work not just in this church, but in all churches that proclaim your name. Particularly, we pray for this church right next door to us, Bethelview Methodist. Bless them in Jesus' name and the power of God, the goodness of God and his grace would you I pray, Lord, that that you, Jesus, would be present and working mightily through your word and your spirit in in Bethelview Methodist. Thank you, Father, for their pastors and their their, uh, leaders. Lord, and now we just praise you that we get to come together as your people here in person and online. We're grateful for your grace. And thank you so much, Lord, for you. And we pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah. So good morning. I'm John Adams, lead pastor here at the Vine, and want to welcome you along with our pastors, elders, and just thankful for God's grace in in, in our, our lives that he loves us so splendidly and with a salvation love. And we're in a series uh, called uh, Just People Like You and Me. And we have seen uh, throughout uh, some of these characters as we looked at God's Word that, uh, you know, they, they are done some great things in their life, but yet they still struggle with their sin in their lives. And, and it makes you feel like, wow, I can relate to that. <laughs> you know, and so today we are looking at the life of David as last week Tim did an excellent job teaching about uh, Gideon, and uh, we, so today we're going to be thinking about David, and you think about David, and you know, what do you think about? You know, what comes to mind to me first is David and Goliath. You know, he killed the giant, right? Great warrior. And uh, the ladies shouted, you know, Saul, the first king, they, the ladies would sing the songs. Dave, or Saul had killed his thousands. David, his tens of thousands. And so he was this mighty warrior. And he was also this uh, amazing man of of worship, right? He he wrote, uh, if you just open your Bibles to about the middle, you'll hit Psalms. And out of the 150 Psalms, he wrote most of those. I mean, what a gifted man. A writer, an artist, a musician, a king. I mean, what else could he do? You know, defeating giants? You know, and you kind of say, well, I don't really relate to all that, John. I don't do those things in my life. I've not killed a giant recently. And uh, I understand. But here today we're going to be looking at David and not just his great, his great conquering feats. We're going to be looking at some of the hard things he faced, his sin. And how God brought him to a place of humble repentance. And so, uh, today, if you would turn with me uh, in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to be looking at a long passage here. I'm going to read it. uh, And I'd encourage you to open your Bibles and handhelds uh, as we look at these 27 verses from God's Word. And this is... uh, the story about David and Bathsheba, 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. And when they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark... And Israel and Judah dwell in booze? And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field? Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. And then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises and if he says to you, why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field. But we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah, the Hittite, is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. And encourage him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This is the reading of God's Gracious word, we give thanks to him for the glory of his revelation. You see, 2 Samuel 11 is a story how David falls into sin and tries to hide it. His desire really had gone mad. He trusted himself and not God to satisfy his desires. And here's the deal, when we seek to satisfy our own desires. Like David, our desires go mad. And the first thing we're going to see from this passage is this, is we try to satisfy desires on our own. And we see this in verses 1 through 5. The the, the problem we see in this passage is that David sought to, to meet his desires independently of God much like we do. And we see this in verse 2. You see, we're, we're all, as humans, hardwired with a desire for beauty, approval, and control. God created his image bearers with desires that were good originally. And when sin entered into the world, Adam and Eve, the first two people on the earth, sought to satisfy their needs on their own. And again, we do the same thing, right? In this long narrative, we see King David faces temptation, especially here in verses one and two. And here's what we know a few things. First of all, in the spring, kings would ordinarily go to war with their armies, they would go with them. David stays at home. We don't know exactly why boredom, uh, responsibility issues, maybe he was tired. But he he sent his leaders, his army, and possibly the men with whom he had accountability without. And so he's kind of, in in this way, exposed, if you will. He's vulnerable. And in verse 2, David went to the roof of his palace. Now, remember, this is Jerusalem. He's the king. He has the biggest, tallest, baddest house, right? It's a flat roof. He goes out on top of the roof, looks out all around him. And he sees, he's looking at his, you know, his kingdom, so to speak. But he didn't go to worship. We know that from the context of the passage, though he often did, likely. This time, as he had an uninhibited view of Jerusalem, the city he built, he saw Bathsheba, and he wanted her. Now, he could have said no. He should have said no but instead no he knowing that she was married i mean she lived just right there and his her husband uriah was one of his mighty men we know there were 37 mighty men uh, and we you know we know that in 2nd 2 samuel 2339 so he knew uriah for many years and knew obviously knew of Bathsheba if he didn't already know her personally. So, uh, unlike Joseph, as we've seen in our series, who ran out of the house to get away from temptation, the passage doesn't tell any way that David here attempts to resist temptation. What did David do? He sends his servants out to inquire about Bathsheba, he discovered, and probably knew already, Urias at war. He's one of his mighty men, after all. And likely, David thought, no one will know if I take Bathsheba for my own. But we know from God's word, Numbers 32, 23, that Moses warns the tribes of Israel, be sure your sin will find you out. You remember in the garden that uh, the, God's image bearers thought they could hide from God after they sinned. And we fall into that same self-deceptive thinking. We think we can lie or look at or read inappropriate stuff, hold on to bitter feelings, or somehow hide whatever our sin de jour is. And no one will know, we think. (laughs) I'm good. It's covered. No one will know. But God will. Hebrews 4.13 tells us, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Not only did God know about David's sin with Bathsheba, but others would find out too. She became pregnant. <laughs> and now, of course, this is again another opportunity David has to confess his sin. I, I, I did this. I confess it. But instead, he goes deeper into the cycle of sin. And he goes down, down into the depths of hiding and staying in the shadows. And so David covers up. His, his desires have gone mad, and this is the second thing we see um, from this passage in verses 6 through 27. We cover up our sins. In, in verses 6 through 13, David sought uh, to bring Uriah home from war. And his plan was this. Well, it makes sense, right? Bring him home. He misses his wife. He's going to go home and be with his wife. And, you know, and everything's good. He'll think the, the child is his. But this guy, Uriah, is so honorable. You know, he comes home and twice, David says to Uriah, go home. Now, this is the king commanding him. You know, you usually obey the king, right? And he says, go home and be with your wife. And the second time after he says this, and Uriah doesn't do what he says, he gets him drunk, thinking, well, he'll be controlled by wine. He'll definitely go home, and he'll be with his wife, and it will all be covered. But Uriah is a righteous man. He's honorable. I'll bet you in this moment, he reminded David of himself. And David thinks, oh, Uriah, what have you brought me to? Now it's, now maybe, I don't know what's going on in David's mind, but maybe he starts to rationalize this way. We do this with our sin. Well, I'm the king, and now this is a matter of national security. He's got to die. And so he, so he goes to Joab, his, uh, his commander of his army, and says, look, here's what you do. Is you're, going, you're going to Ramah. You send the valiant men, including Uriah, up in the front. And then at the right time, you would draw the troops Uriah will die, and then send me a message of it. And that's what happens. And we see that uh, in verses 14 through 25, this, this is what's going on. And, and so, after Joab follows through and Uriah is killed, probably it looks like from the passage, he was, you can imagine, in like all the arrows he was hit with, struck with in that moment. In verse 24, Joab sends a message back to David, Uriah, your servant, is also dead. You see, David is is guilty not only of adultery but of murder, but not just of Uriah. The passage tells us there were other valiant men who became exposed because of David's sin. When the troops withdrew, others were killed. He's multiple murders he's responsible for. You see, our sin is much the same. We, we don't want to acknowledge our sin. We certainly don't want others to know about it, right? To find out about us. And, and when we sin, we usually know this. Yeah, it, it hurts a few people, but what we fail to realize It grieves God. It grieves the Holy Spirit. And we're desensitized often to that. And we go deeper and deeper down in the spiral of sin itself. And as we hide and cover up, our shame and guilt grow. Many of you know the beautiful passage, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is true. For every Christ follower, there is no condemnation. There is no guilt. You are forgiven, past, present, and future. But why don't we feel that way? Here's why. We feel shame because we're covering up. We're hiding from God and others. Instead of confessing our sins and getting free from our feelings of condemnation, we cover up. Now let me tell you more of the story. It goes on in chapter 12. There the Lord by his grace alerts Nathan to David's sin and Nathan the prophet goes before the king, imagine that, to call him out. (laughs) That was a brave man. And Nathan tells the story of a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had many lambs, lots of wealth, lots of animals. The poor man had one little lamb. He was like family to him. Let's call him Wilfred. (laughs) I mean, he loved Wilfred. He like probably slept with, you know, Wilfred, you know the right way. He he like Wilfred was with him. And, you know, he was hanging out with Wilfred. He loved this guy. He was like his buddy. So this rich man goes up. He's like, he has a visitor over for dinner. And he says, hey, I'm not going to, you know, I got to make dinner. And so he took the poor man's little Wilfred. Wilfred became lamb chops. And 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 you know this rich man falls into this, you know this, I mean, devastating sin, if you will. And David is furious. You can imagine this this scene: Nathan, the prophet, before the king, all the all that's going on, and he looks Nathan. Looks David in the eyes and he says to him, Second Samuel twelve, seven, David, you are the man. Wow. See, David could have rejected Nathan's loving rebuke. And continue to cover up. Thankfully. Instead he humbled himself. Presence of Nathan. Presence of the Lord. And repented of his sin. We'll see that. His prayer of repentance. And confession in just a few moments. Psalm 51. But pause for a moment or two. And consider this. If you knew a man. Who committed adultery. And murdered someone. Wouldn't you Would you say or describe him as a man after God's own heart? Unlikely, right? No, I mean, no, this guy is a scallywag. He's a bad guy. Murder, adultery, come on. Those are the big sins. And often we think this way. I mean, I know I've I've fallen into this lots of times in my life. How could David sin that way? I mean, he's a man after God's own heart. Why didn't he just do what was right? And here's the thing that we fail to realize in this in all of this. James chapter two, verse ten says... Paraphrased, if you break the law in just one little way, you are guilty of it all. Here's the true and sobering reality of this passage. You know, you may not do or think you could ever do the great things like David did, but you're just as guilty as he is because of your sin. People just like you and me, David, guess what? Your sin is just as reprobable to God. Do we realize that? The Bible teaches us also that no matter what we've done, God is willing to forgive you and me. Uh, there is, uh, in the Westminster Confession, which is a creedal statement of our church embraces, that is a summary of the major doctrines of the church and the Bible, out of, from the Bible. And, and I love what it says so clearly in chapter 15, verse 4. It says this, As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. On the one hand, you may be thinking, huh, I haven't committed big sins like David. David. Remember, unconfessed sins leave a wedge between you and God. And and compared to my sin, that guy's sin was really bad. (laughs) But see, the Bible teaches us, summarized by the Westminster Confession, our little sins are just as sinful as what we consider the big, heinous ones. On the other hand, some of you come in here today and you're feeling beaten and overwhelmed and oppressed by your sin. And you may think there's no way God could forgive that. He can't. There's no way. But listen to what the confession says. Again, summarizing what the Bible says. it, It says this. There is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. God is so gracious and ready and desires to forgive you and me of any and all sins. We think this is the big sin. It could never be forgiven, or I could never be forgiven, but we're telling ourselves a lie. We're believing a lie, and we're continuing to hide and cover up. The lie is from the enemy or from your flesh, The Bible tells us, James 2.10, and in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I I love, uh, read recently the sermon by Tim Keller on this, and he, he describes the similarity between David standing before Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel 12, and then Jesus centuries later, who the greater David standing before Pilate in Mark chapter 15. In David's courtroom, Nathan comes graciously sent by God to confront David. In, in, in 2 Samuel 12, 13, we says, he says to David, the Lord has also has put away your sin. You shall not die. And, of course, this is all pointing forward to Jesus' work. He's the one whom the sins will be put on. David committed adultery and murder, and God forgave him and promised he would not die due to his sin. But Jesus committed no sin. No sin. And Father God sends him to death on a cross. Is this fair? No, it's not. The judge of the earth, Jesus, who did nothing wrong, is condemned to die. Only Jesus, the perfect God, who was fully man, could bear the sins of every person who repents and believes in him. He died so we could live. Jesus paid the price for David's sin. He paid the price for my sin. He paid the price for your sin. Amen. Amen. David realized this. The wages of sin is death, but God his grace, but God by his grace saves those who humble themselves in his presence and believe in him. You see, it's because Jesus alone who received the punishment for our sins at the cross that we can confess our sins even when they seem so dark and Bad, hard. There is no sin so great that we can't be forgiven when we repent. We receive this forgiveness by simple repentance and faith. Psalm 51 was written by David when he was struggling with feelings of condemnation. When he committed adultery and murder and how God freed him when he confessed his sin. I'd encourage you to read this whole chapter and really meditate on it. Even this week, it's, it's beautiful. But here's a part of it. Psalm 51. Have mercy. Have mercy on me. Oh God. According to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is a prayer of a man who committed multiple murders and adultery. Broken, broken, And humble before the Lord, he came to the only one who can restore a relationship. Do you know that? If if you don't know Jesus as your God and Savior, this is a great thing to meditate on. No one can restore your relationships, not even yourself, in your best efforts. He can. He will, as you trust him. And he will lead you. By the power of his Holy Spirit. He won't leave you. He'll never leave you. Everyone in the world may leave you. He will not. So take some time now to meditate on Psalm 51. As we prepare for communion. Through confession and repentance of our sins. Lord. Help us to realize the depth of our sin, but the even greater depth of your forgiveness and grace. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at The Have a great week.